Brothers to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Ireland want this one and feed it back. Dean holds it well. Kenan, Dean again. Dean to Mullen. Mullen to McNeil. McNeil to England. McNeil's in. Magic! Let's talk a little bit about something that happened before the snow. Ireland versus Wales. Uh, Ireland, you could say, were a better pass away from uh, spectacularly losing that game with another try scored out wide. Uh, our bet more. Um, do you think we really have a problem in defence out there out in the wide channels? I think we have more of a problem there than anywhere else. But you know, once you get into the hypotheticals of if somebody had done this, then if 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 you can go anywhere with those. Um, I thought that Stockdale read the pass really well, really easily. There was very few. There was two options open to Anscombe. He took one. Um, and it was neither of them. Neither of them were gonna see Wales just jog it in. Like people sort of forget that they're fifty-five, sixty meters down the pitch. Um, George North wasn't the last man of the right wing. Schindler's fast. He's not George North. So I think I think people are maybe I I think overstating that. I felt that once that they were playing for a try and not a penalty to win it, that we were definitely going to win that game. I thought Stockdale showed great instinct to go for the to go for the intercept and get it because um, it was pretty much in front of me and my thought was have to get up and hit the ball with the tackle have to try to force a knock on or get them behind the gain line and, and you know make it a messy enough rock it was I certainly wasn't thinking of going for the intercept and even mentality wise I like I do think and yeah, we've gone over this I, I think that Stockdale's dodgy out wide but like he scored two, he scored two tries. Yeah, in that match, first and, and last. Uh, he scored against the Italians. He was brilliant against the South Africans. He's 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 got an incredible try scoring record in international level. And it's it, you just can't look it in the mouth. So you 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 take it. You just accept until we somebody who can who can do both sides. You just accept it, and you just yeah, hope that you can coach him and get better. Keith Rhodes is is equally adept at the moment in defence as he is in attack. But Earls is, you know, he's got nine years on Jacob Stockdale, um, fifty odd caps, and he's in he's in phenomenal form. So, um, you know, you're lucky when you get someone coming around once like Keith Earls, just as Andrew Trimble hit that great bout of form in 20, uh, 2014, I think on his around his thirtieth birthday as well. Um, you know, Earls is Earls is doing the same as 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 Trimble did. And do you think it's a? But do you think it's specifically a, a back three defense alignment, or is is it like a, a whole systematic thing that the team is doing wrong? Well, you know, people like to to relate it back to Argentina in the World Cup uh, when we had a different defense coach, when we had you know a lot of different personnel in there. Um. So, you know, we, we've 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 had a lot of changes in personnel in this um, in this campaign already. You know, in terms of Bundiaki has been a, a, 
a uh, a stable twelve. But he's new. He's new to the to the international team. We'll be on to our third uh, outside centre of of the championship of four games, um, and that's you know everyone knows that it's a key position in backline defence. So I think it's I think people are really I think people always want to draw this uh, this direct line back to that Argentina game, uh, and I, I I don't think that's. I don't think that's wholly plausible as an argument. I don't think the same things are, the same mistakes are being made. I think slightly different mistakes being made. Like some of those Argentina tries were, you could actually see on the pitch that there was little or bad communication happening between the 13 and 14 on the day, Dave Carney and Keith Earls. Um, And then one Dave Carney just got burnt. Um, Um... you know, so I think slightly different things are happening, and and you know, yes, the Italians, the Italians did score three tries against us, and Wales did score three tries against us, and they're all in the corner. So there is there is an issue. I'm not being uh, uh, obtuse about it, but I think people are, are sort of desperate to draw that line back to Argentina. And I don't think it's a straight line. I think it goes back further than that, though. That the the previous quarterfinal of the World Cup, Keane Healy got done defending it in that second centre channel Johnny Davis skinned him and it was they scored down the blind side as well and it, you know, how, do you, how do you finger which one was the pivotal try and sure Jesus like Wales probably would have beat us anyway if they hadn't scored those two uh, that was a they, shit day they were so, yeah, it was, that was a bad day we were empty supermarket shelves of all the, of the fried food the <laughs> night before at half six kickoff and the I like my feeling looking at the at the stats because I went to look at them I, I don't really look at the defensive stats that much um, but I was curious to see who'd made tackles because like my experience of playing on teams and, and looking at teams prepare and, and coaching teams is that you do your defensive drill and you sort of figure out who's going to be pillar A, B and are you going to fold around and are you going to bounce out and you know how are you going to link up and but really just, just getting your alignment right on a team. And then you you go through your drill and then you bring in a bit of opposition and you can see two or three tries because everyone's concentrating so much and getting in the right place. No one makes any tackles. And like the key thing in defence is just like making your tackles. There, there, there certainly is an organisational component to it. But I think that the South African sort of swarm defence is the least... Um, influenced by rugby league and everybody went nuts on, on rugby league after the Aussies in 99 and then Woodward in 2003 Clive, you know Phil Larder but the South Africans have always just had been really really difficult to beat because they just chase across and they, they harangue you all the time as well as being very physical they really really want to make those tackles Um and to that mind, James Ryan, who I think is a super player, who I think is, I think he's a captain Ireland, uh, and it could be sooner rather than later. And I think that's one of the reasons that Schmidt has him involved. He made two tackles. Like, it's just, it, it's dreadful for international second row. We wrote after the World Cup looking at the work, the idea of the work rate second row and what exactly that means. Just how many tackles that international second rows make. And they're usually in the top two or three 
on their team mm-hmm. like your blind side should make an awful lot of tackles oftentimes your 10 is forced to make a lot of tackles mm-hmm. if the opposition target them so that that might bump somebody up into two but a lot of the times uh the second row is is the guy who makes it like and johnny gray is the tackle machine of like johnny gray against Typically just like in around the side of the rooks yeah he he made 24 tackles but joe launchbury made 14 tackles maro toje made 12 tackles and he- i think if you're only making two you have to you have to sort of say, God, I'm standing in the wrong place. So re- rather than bumping up and beating up on Ryan, like really, what what I took from that is that you can be too diligent and you can be too sort of focused on the system, the system, the system, uh, t- to the expense of all of all else. Whereas, and there's there's sort of. T- like if you look at Bill Belichick and you look at Joe Schmidt, they're very process oriented, do your job sort of coaches, and and that's. That's very prominent at the moment. Um, but there's an alternative point of view, and O'Connell talks about it in his book about like problem solving. So on the pitch, adapting to what you do. So sort of from a footballing point of view, like Carlo Ancelotti, of just get all your best players on the pitch, play them in positions that suit them, and just let them figure it out. Arguably Alex Ferguson, of like just keep on winning with really different teams, allowed him to do that. And I was trying to think of this on the way home. You could almost say Steve Hansen. Like the All Blacks trust that the fellas that they pick are going to have a really high skill set they're going to play a really simple game plan but it's going to be pretty flexible like it, it allows them to go both sides it allows them to go wide it allows them to pick it up the middle it allows for the long kick and it allows for grubber throughs so you, you've got the whole pitch covered and fellas have to make decisions but it's it's a it's player led again to use the jargon of the day mm-hmm. so o'connell again talks about goal setting and talks about that idea of and, and Richie McCall did it all the way through his career. Like, you'd think that Richie McCall would have known by the time he's over 100 caps what he was going to do the next day, but he still sat on his room, on his own, diligently with, uh, like, a paper notebook and wrote down how many tackles he wanted to make the next day. And if you set yourself the target of, I want to make five tackles in the first half, and go out looking for them, it's it's great. Yeah, I, I don't think that that stat has any real importance though we had so much of the ball that there were very few tackles to be made and uh, if you look at Ryan like Wales did not really attack us around the fringes which is where he he mostly was it's a good position for him because he's a yeah, but I think good if tackler you, if you're not if you're not making those tackles you need to go looking for them that that would be my like Dan Levy made 12 tackles Danny's and he was an open side and he was he was the most on the pitch and he's he's in a different position to make them but I think you want to get involved. Like I think, I think the game sort of passes you by if if you're not involved. Because James Ryan is a good tackler. Yeah, he's a good. I, I just don't think. I think it's it's a one off. I don't think. Uh, I don't think it has that much. Um, I don't think it had that much to do with the game. I just, you know, it's not as though I think he missed one tackle, and the one tackle he's credited as missing is when he was making up for somebody else's missed tackle, when Garrett Davies was scooping inside uh, Jacob Stockdale. So I, I I just don't think it had I don't think it's that that big a deal. It didn't. I thought he played really well. Well, uh, I, th- I think if you wanted to drop him, you could use it as a stick to beat him. And I think if you were against, I'm not saying you in particular, but you know you do it, I do it. Uh, I'm talking about you at large. That you know if you wanted to harangue players for perceived shortcomings, you beat them up with stats. Now, I'm certainly not out to get James Ryan, but it, it was it was. I was amazed by it when I saw it because it wasn't what I expected to see. I wasn't and amazed by it at all. Like you just have to 
again, to repeat myself, bear in mind how little Wales had the ball. But compare him to everybody else. Like he made less well, tackles. How many than did? How many did? Uh, how many did CJ Sander make? Seven. Seven. You know what was Omani six? Omani was six. Dev Toner was seven, and Porter was six. So uh, you know without you know, going. They're not high. No, they're not high. But Ryan is so much lower than everybody else. Yeah, to me, it's it's just a curiosity. I don't think it's really reflective of anything. So I suppose f- from that. Uh, do we? Yeah, we keep on getting beat out wide. I think two of the two of our three outside backs are poor defenders. I remember reading a few years ago when Howler was at Munster that O'Gara just said he's he's the best defensive winger I've ever played against because he's just constant talk from the outside in about what's going on, what are they going to do, what where people need to be, chat, 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 and. If you're not instinctively a defender, you just don't think like that. So to go back to Stockdale being an instinctively brilliant winger uh, going forward and attacking, if if you don't think about if you don't think like that as a defender, you you can't communicate in. And I don't think Rob Carney's that either. Um, so I'm not sure how much noise is coming from the outside in. I think it's one of the places that uh, that Henshaw has missed mm-hmm. is that he is that really solid defensive leader and I think there's always a lot of talk about Jared Payne and how, how good he was at communicating particularly in that second centre or that, that, uh, that full back you know so that sort of third channel that outside channel so um, and Trimble was not a great uh, defensive ringer you don't have to go to, to duck out it like Andrew Trimble especially you know he's slightly past his peak now but it's about three or four years where he, the side of Trimble coming in off his wing, you knew he was going to absolutely smash somebody. Like, smash him in two. I remember especially him coming in off his wing to half kill Alan Wynne-Jones one time, maybe 2016, maybe 2015. It's an absolutely huge tackle. Um, and, you know, Stockdale, is, he's, in terms of his defence, clearly he's no Trimble. You know, Trimble was a guy who started out in the centre, played quite a lot of rugby in the centre, uh, and was really, really physical all the way through his career. Um, and you know, Keith Earls wasn't always super physical, and he is—he is—he's an outstanding defender at the moment. But I, for a good few years, actually, I think it is—it is a place that we have an issue. So for the the second Welsh try, I felt that maybe all the Irish guys expect a Carney to win the ball in the air because he often does, but he was up against Dan Bigger. Bigger won the ball in the air. We had about nine or ten guys honeypotting back to that side of the pitch, and we were really, really narrow. And they went out wide. Uh, they got outside us, and then they went back. And at that stage, they're running at Stockdale's wing. So we we talked about it two weeks ago, and we said like, what do we expect them to do? Run at Farrell, run at Stockdale, run at Carney. Like you know, aim at Farrell's kind of seam is mm-hmm. again to use the jargon out in out in that second centre channel because he's not going to be used to the pace of it. And he he, got, he won man of the match. He had a great game. But that's where they profited, and we needed to have more width off when when the kick came down. And then I thought Jack Cona made a terrible read charging up. You know when we were sort of we were numbered up okay, but he just needed to push up and across and mm-hmm. allow the inside man to come across and make the tackle. A couple of bad reads there. Ferg made a bad read as well. Well, Ferg Ferg out. was left Ferg was left hanging by by Cone. Yeah, he didn't need to come in either. Though he should have had a bit more, a bit more trust in what was going on inside him. If you look at the, if you look at the recording of it, he does bite in very early, actually. McFadden. Yeah. 
And then I think, in, but, it, but like I, I turned around to who I was in beside at the match and, and looked at Colin, my one of my fa- my favorite back row of this year, and just said, Jesus, like if you're a back row and you like you've tackled nobody and they've scored in the corner, you're you're just not doing your job. And if you compare him to Levy, so okay, Levy didn't tackle any like Shingler, but like when Shingler went over, Levy was the closest man to him. And if you look at where Levy was coming from, he was coming from that position that he he always takes up which is after two or three phases, he goes to in between the posts and he looks to soak up their pressure when they're coming in. So he looks to make tackles of guys coming off the out half or centres running up the middle. And he's also in a great position position to jackal. And the two guys that I remember doing it, I was at the quarterfinal of the, uh, in Cardiff, the New Zealand-France one on the eve of our Argentinian match in the anticipation that we might be in it as well and I wanted to look at what Duzatoire and McCaw did and they take up exactly that position and Levy played he played in that role against Wasps and particularly in the first half when Wasps were running Johnson and I think Nathan Hughes played in that mm, match so. and James Haskell and they did, they did a number of he made an incredible amount of tackles in that first half and he, ju- he just kept looking for it and it was it was a brilliant defensive display, and it's 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 the way that you're it's the way that you want your open side flanker to be defending. So, you know him him chasing down that guy into the corner, like that's that's what you want from your back row, and you want guys making tackles. So, I thought that you know moving past the defence, Connor Murray was outstanding. Like he's obviously good, but watching him play in the flesh as compared to on TV, like just how quick witted he is how much of the action he's involved in how he keeps the whole game moving his his like his his kicking how much he just dominates a game that he plays in was astounding i have to say for the welch i thought alan Wynne jones was brilliant and i think uh to sort of wheel around to james ryan like i think james ryan could play test match for the lions like i think he could captain the lions in a test match in the years to come but if you saw a guy who had a season underneath his belt play as Alan Wynne Jones did at the weekend, you'd be like, "Holy God, that guy is amazing!" But when you see Alan Wynne Jones do, you just go, "Oh yeah, of course he does that." Like that's what Alan Wynne Jones does. But I think it's a reminder of just how good a guy is when when he's got that many caps. Like that, he's he's just like he's proven that he can do it again and again and again. Like his worst match is not bad enough to drop him. His best match is brilliant. His decision making is really good on the pitch. So although he knows the system, he also like what what rugby guys refer to as the old heads. And it's one of the things that Ireland are really going to miss about Jamie Heaslip. Like mm-hmm. Jamie got up to I think it was ninety five caps by the yeah. time he retired and and five to the lines. I think it include uh, but. That was because he was up there with Alan Wynne Jones as as that good. So all credit uh, to Jamie <laughs> Heaslip for 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 a great career, and it's it's a shame that he didn't go out. He didn't get to go out in his own terms. But I think really, you know, when the dust settles, uh, he'll have to reflect on like a great journey, mm-hmm. um, great player, and. Uh, but yeah, to bring it back, brilliant by Murray. Um, we touched on, I guess, uh, the second row a good bit there, and I think that's one of the areas of contention for selection against Scotland, um, with Ian Henderson coming back to full fitness, and even Quinn Rue having quite a good game when he came on. Um, so who do you think will start? Uh, who 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 will the three players that get the call up be and? Um, who do you think will start from the from the 
from the uh, three we think will be in contention? Well, I, I think the the three in contention are Toner, Henderson and, and Ryan. Um, and I think that Ryan and Henderson will start. Um, personally speaking, I would start <coughs> Henderson and, and Toner. Um, I think that that Dev gives you an awful lot of guaranteed lineup ball and a really strong centerpiece for Maul, both in attack and defence. And whether he gives you a huge amount of pop off the bench is a query. He does enable you to change how you play off the bench. You know, people when they when they think about impact subs, they think about guys who are really big and strong or really quick. Uh, but an impact sub could be somebody who allows you to do something differently. So he would he would be a, he would improve our mall when it, whenever he came on, especially if he was to come on a pitch with say Jack McGrath. Um, you know you've you've two really good maulers. Now you you're replacing two good runners with two good maulers. So that's you know you you sort of adjust your game plan as how you're going to play. Um, but I think that uh, I think that Joe will go with with Ryan and Henderson. I think he'll go... Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I think he will go with Ryan and Henderson. I think that the, the great fallout of the emergence of James Ryan, and this is in keeping with the opportunity that Schmidt has given to to a number of guys and the willingness he's shown to expand the squad, is Toner's playing his best rugby ever. Mm-hmm. And he's... And uh, by... The... the, the there's some false numbers there by sort of saying he's expanding his squad. Like the Six Nations is so important to to Irish rugby. It's such a prominence and it's typically when you see the first choice started. So like if guys play against Japan, it, okay, grand accounts as caps. And if they play the last match against Argentina, you know, who are just waiting to go home and who are tired, although tough opposition, it still counts numbers-wise as the same thing. But when Toner didn't get picked... Uh, for the first match against France, he must have known. Wow, like I'm really up against it here. I'm I'm third choice, and he's playing better than ever. I think in response to that. So seeing Porter play really well against Wales is is a big positive, and hopefully he can put pressure on Furlong. As incredible as that would have sounded only a few weeks ago, um, and obviously Healy and and Jack McGrath have an incredible amount of competition, um, and. Ultimately, I think that's that's what you want is because uh, it does spur guys on to play really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Tyke. I think we all think he's going to come back in, having declared himself fit again, and we all agree that Gary Ringrose is a shoe in to start at thirteen. It's not going to be some some kind of surprise reconfiguration with uh, Bundy at thirteen and someone else at twelve. No, I think it'll be almost certainly be Ringrose, or certainly actually it will be Ringrose at thirteen. Um, and Bundy at twelve, they've don't know. I don't think they've ever played together. Uh, they probably trained together this season, or sorry, this week for the first time. Uh, so I don't expect a huge amount of. They're playing within a Joe Schmidt. They both Bundy's been around the Irish camp now since November, so he's about three months in. Ringrose is about a year and a half in. So familiar enough with what they're trying to do, but there is a lag if you haven't played with each other. So I think we will continue to play the same way that we did against Wales. And I think that we might even have a bit more dice with it because um, I don't think Finn Russell is as gamey as as Dan Bigger is when it comes to defending. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is it's it's a it's a it's a, a a win-win for Ireland if you can get through Finn Russell obviously you're through Finn Russell but also you're rattling him and you might knock him off his game in, in another sense and that when he has the ball he's you know here in footsteps as they say mm-hmm. so I think he's a guy that we will go a long way out of our way to attack uh, and tie him up hold him at the bottom of rocks shoe him and uh, and, and really give them a hard time. Um, and certainly what I would do. Um, Scotland made a commentary, Blair made a commentary about uh, he wants the, the ref to let the game flow and if you know if we have there's a low uh, amount of ball in play time um, that, uh, you know, Ireland tend to thrive in those circumstances. So he was trying to put pressure on the ref, but it didn't seem to make any sense. It's like the ball wasn't in play because the other team kept on getting away loads of penalties. Yeah, the magic number. I love this. <laughs> I love this from Gatland. You know, Gatland was saying if, it, if the ball's in play for more than 44 minutes, Wales will win. The ball's in play for... Le- it was it less than 44? No, it was... Less it, than 37? Like less than 37. You know? I want to see what if the sample can, size is there. How many times have they played Ireland? Also, if you consider that Johnny Sexton takes 90 seconds to take every kick that he can... Every, is it 90 seconds for a penalty and 60 seconds for a conversion? Something like that. Right? So if you have... If you have... If you have five penalties, right? That's five ninety seconds. So... Hell of a lot of seconds. Whatever that is in minutes. Seven, seven minutes. Seven and a half minutes, I think. Okay, so if you if you score five penalties, you've also taken seven minutes off the clock. That is the difference, I think, between Gatlin's ball and play time when Wales win, and, when, and you know Joe Schmidt's ball and play time when Ireland win. And I think it's mostly to do with like they conceded five tries, penos, and penos. You know, if you concede penalties, you know the ball is going to be out of play for longer because people are taking a minute a minute and a half to take their penalties you know and that's that's only for penalty kicks if you're going to kick to touch you're like standing around for a while get everyone behind you yeah pump it into touch stroll up stand off 10 meters away have your chat and also arrive up uh, delighted tell the hooker what to do it's a minute and a half gone as well that's the ball's on in play then i think it's a great i think it's a great number i think i love the fact that mike blair mentioned it fuck off (laughs) it sounded kind of desperate to me i thought um it was a call for uh, Wayne Barnes, his refing on Saturday, to basically try and ref as hands off as Nigel Owens did in Murrayfield. But uh, personally, I don't think there's much chance of that. How well, how do you think Barnesy will go uh, at the breakdown uh, where Owens does a lot of play on? I think Barnes is going to be his usual autocratic self in the first half and just make himself the centre of attention and blow everybody off the park. <laughs> well, whoever infringes will will get blown by Barnes. And I think he let the second half flow. That's been his pattern in recent years. I think Blair's attempt to uh, let the game flow, it's, I mean, that's just to allow Scotland to cheat at the Rooks. That is, I mean, the Scottish rugby psyche is built around cheating on the ground. <laughs> that's, that is the national plan I think to go back to the midfield question the Southern Kings are the worst team in the Pro 14 and possibly the worst professional rugby team in the world at the moment but there was touches to Ringrose performance for Leinster that no matter who like, no matter how bad the opposition were you're just like ooh that is good uh, he, he he threw one pass off his left hand oh, yeah. where 
he skipped a few guys and the receiver didn't even have to break a stride it, and it's true it to full, full pace as well full that was right pace. in front of me and he he made one run off James Lowe where he didn't get the ball and you're thinking if he's going to get a pass from anybody in a, in a tackle it's going to be James Lowe but even Lowe wasn't expecting anybody to do it and it's the sort of runs that O'Driscoll used to make and then cast his head up to the heavens to go like why why am I cursed to play with these idiots <laughs> and you're there going Dricko why are they because he's right and, and Ringrose Ringrose makes those sort of runs and you can't coach it and so to go back to my, my theme of the evening about the system and the individual Ringrose he, like when you watch him play like he's what a classic yeah, second yeah, centre what he, a great balance like, you know would he, I'm sure he could play at fullback because he's really good but he would, he just wouldn't be as good and it's like when he, Draco played at fullback for the Lions under, do you remember Geach yeah. picking up at fullback and everyone's going this could be really exciting and you go mm. against the plumbers and the bakers <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of, uh, Western Australia reserves or whatever it was and then alternatively he could play at first centre and again, he'd do a job for you but like he's he's a classic second centre so um where he's going to be tested or where it looked like he was going to be tested at the beginning of this season where he didn't look comfortable was, was making the tackles against the big guys the likes of Montpellier and Exeter he didn't he didn't really look to have recovered form um, new shoulder but he's, he's he's got an opportunity to remind everybody just how good he is mm-hmm. um, and I remember like Farrell was pushing for him to be brought in the lines Farrell was, <laughs> Andy Farrell was saying to Gatton like this this guy's great you've, you've got to you've got to get him on Jerry was he? He has the X factor. Um, he, Assuredly, his his opposite uh, man is uh, Hugh, Hugh Jones. Jones. Hugh Jones, the Troy machine. Yeah, uh, I saw an article in the Independent where he listed off. He's uh, only four players have got more tries than him in the last year and a half, and I thought it was like that's the magic number. <laughs> but anyway, he's a try machine, but he's also not huge. Uh, how is his he's defense? A, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not I, I, familiar. I'm with really defense. impressed with Hugh Jones. Good, really impressed with him. I think, I think he he's he is pretty big. You know, like most most players these days are pretty big. I think he's about, I think he might be about sixteen he's stone. Not Montpellier, mutant no, he's big, not. Though, he's a Bastero. Um, his his defense is like he was he was up against Jonathan Joseph for. Uh, for Scotland um, against England and Jonathan Joseph doesn't have all the traits of a flat track bully but he does in my opinion anyway and my recollection of him he struggles against better teams and is outstanding against weaker teams so uh, I, th- I thought that Hugh Jones won that uh, deal hands down without without even mentioning his his tries just in terms of general play I thought he was far more effective his tries were both well, one was one was lucky, but it, you know he kept his head when the ball was the ball was breaking, mm-hmm. uh, and then the, the second try was magnificent. It's outstanding! It was yeah. it was brilliant. Like we we were watching it in a pub, and everyone was cheering him on. It was it everyone was really their lemonade. Yeah, it was jump up and spill your drinks type of stuff because it was just okay. Obviously, everyone's going to cheer for Scotland against England when you're in an Irish pub at a Six Nations match, but even just underdog against the sort of the big team it was like what a finish like just dragged just, two players over the line with yeah. six or seven metres out that's the reason that people love the Six Nations is yeah. that sort of finish because it's it is it's, it's prime time it's majestic like it's 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 the swell yeah. he was at the peak of a wave of everyone just t- cheering him on going you're never going to get there mm. oh my god he is he is he is I think that um, Townsend's really surprised me with sort of how tactically astute he's been oh after since the Welsh match like how, how much he's a, like I thought he was a real ideologue and he was just going to try to run the ball from his 22 all the time 
and I thought that he was going to pick guys he was going to discard uh, some of Vern Cotter's guys and get in and like get a clean sweep and get in his own guys to his detriment and he picked like Maitland and he picked uh, Wilson and he picked uh, Laidlaw and by doing that he got himself a rake load of caps back into the team to combat the inexperience that they had and those guys have repaid him they've been really really good Maitland especially it's really surprised me uh, you know, right back in form and they've a lovely balance to their team the Scots like I mean they've they've they have two really good guys on the ground. Wilson's got really good position in front of number eight, and he's a troublemaker. They've got Johnny Gray to come back in, but Gilchrist had a good match. They have a, they've got Xander Fagerson to come back in. With WP Nell's got a bit of rugby under his belt, mm-hmm. so they've got more at tight head. Their, their line-out went surprisingly well, considering that McAnally's a ropey thrower. Uh, they got picked off a few times at the end, but by that stage, they were so far ahead that they, they could afford to sort of defend it. And... They've football in the midfield. Like he's Horn isn't uh, like Horn. We're talking about Rory Scannell a few weeks ago after one of the podcasts, and Rory Scannell sort of reminds me of Horn. Like who's who's not that big, who's not that quick. Scannell will be a good bit heavier set than Horn. But Horn is quite spare. Horn can pass. He's a good footballer, really good footballer, and he's brave. Yeah, um, he's a great rugby player. Sort of sort of rugby player like uh, Dutchy Holland. Sort of rugby player you'd love to have. I'd say as a club player, like amateur club player, he could play until forty-five. Yeah. To- uh, totally, like he's 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 a, he's a he's a super little footballer. So, I think the the Scots are sort of short. In I definitely think we'll run Bundy, and I think we'll target Russell and Horn. Um, and I think they're also short of uh, Hamish Watson is a good ball carrier, but he's a good small ball carrier. Um, and I don't see a huge amount. McAnally's good; he's a good carrier, but you know as as you know, it's sort of an elite international ball carrier. I don't see that they have one in the pack. You know, Fagerson, if they reintroduce him again, he's a, they have enough sort of decent guys, but they don't have... Uh, I don't think they have a guy who can definitely get over the game line in every, with every carry like CJ Standard does for us and like Keen Healy does for us. Um, so I think that's, that's one area where they're a little bit short. I don't really... Um, I don't really see where they have that. Yeah, you know, it, like Dave Denton did a job from uh, four years ago, I think, at this stage when mm. it's for his first season in the Six Nations. But I think that was a real r- uh, case of the first season. Nobody knew what to expect because he's never been that effective again. And Josh Strauss did that for yeah. them when he played, and he played. If you remember, like Dunbar played for them at first centre yeah. last year. So like Dunbar, Dunbar gives you big man centre gravity. Uh, coalesce around them but you know hands like shovels type of thing compared to Horn who's who's a much better footballer I think the other thing about Scotland and this is this is the voodoo of playing at home and this is one of the other things that really surprised me about uh, ta- uh, Townsend's tactical acumen was the amount of ground they made from diagonal kicks behind the English wingers like England England play that hard press up so mm. the, the gaps with England are out wide and Scotland went wide determinedly wide early on and and really moved outside the English, and then they they exploited that big blind side. So they really made England worried about the touchlines, and they moved them all around the place. They get and England because they play that hard press up. Like both Russell and Hogg had some Ronan O'Gara esque kicks, perfect diagonal kicks in behind, which made them huge ground and. 
that's at a raucous Murrayfield at a tea time kickoff, and just Scotland's track record playing away from home is is not good. And they're the sort of kicks that when they're not going for you, they just go out in the full, and they go out in the full by the foot that they bounced in the other day. Um, so maybe Scotland can replicate that, but I think that we're going to dominate territory. I think we're going to do the same thing and I think he's going to try to get the Scots to play rugby from their own half because he's going to get the Scots are going to chase this game Mm -hmm. if they're playing in their own half and if they fall behind by six or nine points particularly nine Mm -hmm. and although they can score tries from deep they're kind of as likely to make mistakes and force passes and this is is the thing so we refer to uh, Russell as a Jock Carlos Spencer which yeah, that no, was, no, not that was the, pejorative not, of me. Yeah, pretty a bit pejorative, but I think it's 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 an idea like it's it's the same idea when when you play risky rugby, when the risks come off, it's absolutely exhilarating and, and that pass off Jamie, over Jamie Joseph's head and then the pass again to Maitland to complete that try, mm-hmm. like that that's magnificent. Uh but when that gets picked off and you get intercepted and you give away another soft try, you're just holding your head in your hands wondering like why why did I do that so that that's which Scotland is going to turn up I think is it, is it home Scotland or away Scotland hopefully it's away Scotland yeah you can't I don't think the Irish team will be counting on away Scotland turning up but I think that and I'm not saying that that's what you're implying but they have such a bad record away from home and you know Gregor Townsend and my player will be saying this is the time to, to change it around but that's a lot easier said than done mm-hmm um, I also think uh, in that England game there were two opportunities that would have really changed the shape of the game that didn't go England's way and one was a clear knock-on but like the try was given and they went back and had a look and they caught it was a knock-on but it could very easily have been knocked out in the tackle mm-hmm. in the same thing and the other one was another one that Nigel pulled up late after, after, <laughs> after the lad of steel was going through under the sticks again yeah and he was sort of like, no, I can't really... Sisti, the intercept after the Joe Launchbury. Cordy yeah. Law's not going to the tackle. No, 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 no the other one. Don't. Oh. And he was like, oh, it seems like Nigel was like, that's too too stiff now I, punishment. Yeah, in fairness, I thought that he was actually right about Launchbury being on his elbows, but he didn't make any signal. He certainly didn't indicate that there was an advantage to Scotland. And as you say ball went out there was an intercept Danny Cairn and Farrell I think um, and then he decided oh no I was you know Joe you were on your knees I was that was always a uh, that was always a penalty and I thought that was really iffy refereeing it looked like he just made a decision as you say that the penalty was too harsh for the for the for the Scots like he didn't want to give a penalty in the first place yeah. and then he was like well I have to give a penalty now because I don't want to give an intercept try that seems really harsh if yeah. there's a bit of an infringement I absolutely agree with you there I think it's a very good point. Um, I don't think I don't think Brian's will referee it like that. And I no, I, well, not at all. Well, I just how I, how I see it going is basically that we'll again try to monopolise possession. Put them into the meat grinder. Try to monopolise possession. Hopefully, run a lot of plays off Johnny, which looked very effective against Wales. Hopefully, be able to kick some penalties. I think he will. I don't think he'll have that problem again. Yeah, God, I he was kicking about really that, well beforehand, yeah. and. We that was a strange feature of the Welsh game, wasn't it? And here's a, here's a question, actually. When when he went for the quick tap in the second half from the 22, I thought he did it because he, he saw it was on. He had two players to his left, and now he ate up their space, and he got tackled two metres from the line. But everyone else I talked to said that he took it because he didn't fancy taking a kick. What do you think? 
I didn't see him take it live. I just saw him, the crowd react, and then he ran running into the corner. Yeah. So I never saw what kind of gap was there. When I saw the replay on TV, it was like it was like it was like he was running to set up a five yard mall. Now we scored most of our tries from there, so yeah, wasn't the worst thing in the world. I yeah, I thought he took it because he didn't fancy okay. the kick at that stage. Um, it's always the thing. I'd imagine Sexton would argue to the contrary, and they talked about it at halftime and blah blah blah. But you just everyone in the ground assumes score being what it was kick being on that side of the pitch yeah. you just put the ball down but stick I, I, it I over th- and, I and go ahead I thought he'd kick it but then when he he ran for it it never entered my mind that he was I'd, I'd actually already forgotten because how well he played in other every single other aspect of the game including his massive boshes that he put in yeah uh, that it, I'd sort of forgotten that he'd, he'd missed so many kicks early on and, and like you I don't see him I don't see him having the same problems again so yeah, I, uh, just to to round that up, I thought I think Ireland will, you know, monopolize monopolize possession and territory, try to get penalties out of Scotland, and just try and grind them down like uh, we did against Wales. Um, it'll be similar. I mean, the way it's easy to replicate is because we're doing all the stuff really. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't think it'll be particularly pretty either. But then again, I thought there'd be like one try aside in the Wales games. So. Oh, we're all wrong about Wales. Did call Scotland beating in that. Fuck off, back to your match reports, you twat. So speaking of the uh, Scotland England game, it was the second belter of a day, uh, making this for me a vintage Six Nations. Uh, I actually tried to do a Google like trends search on vintage Six Nations, nothing came up. And then I tried to search it on Twitter, and there was like mostly vintage jerseys. So it does. It's basically only used when it's not a quote vintage Six Nations, and it's used to describe when your team doesn't do well, yeah. or when Wales win it and England don't like that, or when Ireland win it and England don't like that. Yeah, well, we're, we're giving out about the English here. We were we call things not vintage Six Nations as well. It's a vintage Six Nations when you win. Nobody has ever been even that even that, that that day when everyone scored a million tries. Even after that, like we won the Six Nations, people were going, wasn't a vintage Six Nations, you know? Um, it's only a vintage Six Nations if you win. Nobody is ever going to agree. I think it's only a vintage Six Nations if it gets you through winter, basically, which they all do eventually. <laughs> I think it has been a vintage Six Nations. There's been a few years where the matches have been absolute dross, but uh, this year hasn't been one of them. There's been a number of good games, and England-Scotland has been the best of them in terms of excitement and tries and goodies beating baddies and, and all that sort of stuff. The, the idea, though, one of the things that it made me think of is, is there a Scottish resurgence? And I was curious about like Scotland in the 80s getting to three World Cups, three football World Cups, when there was well, there was 24 teams and all of those. But like 82, 86 and 90, they've been at 78 and 74 as well. Good. They won two Grand Slams in 84 and 1990. And they had a men's 100 metre gold medalist in Alan Wells. Now, it was when the Americans boycotted in Moscow, but that that was just an incredible era of prominence for Scottish sport, and they've never had it again. So what I was curious about was, I looked up the demographics of the time, and I looked up the, the, the birth rates from 57 to 65. They had over 50,000 males born each year, and the corresponding amount, uh, what they have for who's playing now, is 33,000 males. So 
for for the wow. one to fifteen, they would have had three thousand three hundred and thirty three guys for every for for each jersey one to fifteen. They now have two thousand two hundred. So you're basically down. Wow, you're down a man for every two that Scott and have to pick from. So it just looks like they're never they're never going to come back. And I was also curious, like what's what's corresponding for Ireland? And they're not as good, but we had about sixty thousand seven hundred births. So we had thirty thousand people. In what year? In 1960, around so at the same time that Scotland had 50,000, we had about 30,000. So for every 15 that they had, we had nine. If you, if you want to put mm-hmm. it like that, like if they had 15 really good players, we had nine really good players, and and you know <laughs> six dodge, which is sort of my memory actually of what Irish rugby yeah. used to be like. And then in the the sort of the birth rate now is is actually lower. Like so, the, the guys that are playing for Ireland now, like the birth rate was really low between 1990 and 1995. 50,000 on average, which equates to 25,000 males. So right? there, so there, there were a lot of 80s guys, though, lads born in the 80s in the Irish, like Keane, Jack McGrath, uh, Rory Best, Devon. But even, even the numbers, the numbers weren't that different. But like when it does really pick up is 2007 to 2012. Like So basically, there's a lot of kids coming through in Ireland. Full stop. Like there's, I'm not saying like there's a lot of really good or really bad. There's, there's just a lot of them. And I think the more people that there are, the more good players that you'll have, just because you have more people, and the more likely you are to have exceptional players. Because like the last time Ireland had a baby boom was that sort of '76 through '81 period, which is where Draco. Brian O'Driscoll, but it's also like where David Paul Wallace, Paul Wally. O'Connell. Uh, Raj loads of second rows uh, actually Bob like Casey loads, Leo like, yeah, Mick O'Driscoll Duncha they're all born within about a year and a half loads are really just, just big guys loads are really because of like, Sellafield we all know <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think there's going to be a Scottish resurgence anytime soon compared to what's coming down the track with Ireland just in that sort of law of big numbers idea um, but like where the numbers are always big is England and it has been a non-vintage Six Nations for England because they haven't won the Grand Slam. They still have an outside opportunity of winning the championship depending on how this weekend and then the following weekend goes but it could be all over. If Ireland get a, a, a if Ireland get a bonus point this weekend It puts a lot of scoreboard pressure on the English It puts a lot of scoreboard Paris. and it, it's funny I think I actually think if Ireland don't get a bonus point victory against Scotland but say they beat them anyway I think England will fucking pump France. Uh, but if we put the pressure on England, I think the French will be like, oh, this is a great opportunity. We can totally wreck their day. And like, all we need them to do is not concede four tries. Will, they, totally will, will, they, know the, will they know the result when they kick off? Yeah. Okay. They're, um, on, they're on 4.45 after us. Okay. And it's been, it's been a miserable week for Eddie Jones, who was harassed on a train. And uh, like Eddie Jones, shit didn't stink for the first two years of his England Absolutely. tenure. Absolutely. But he brought on Wigglesworth, a 34-year-old, as his uh, sub-scrum half. He sorely misses Ben Youngs. Like, Danny Kerr. Danny Kerr is a... They uh, used to be really... They used to be really competitive between Kerr and Youngs. Kerr had some great seasons. Kerr, yeah. Um, But they look... There looks a real gulf between them now. And one of the words that came to mind when I was watching Danny Kerr play the entire match or, you know, until he got taken off from the beginning was uh, Eddie Jones talking about finishers. And Grand, like England were plodding away and they were grinding the Scots down and they were in the 22 and the match was blown off. But that England, the England team that he has at the moment is built to get out in front, grind you down and then bring on guys to smash it. Mm. It's, it's not a, it's, it's a finishing team. It's not a chasing team. And... 
they going back to Wigglesworth and that idea so there was a lot of talk um, from Jones in particular in the summertime about the, the the youth of the England squad that went down to Argentina and how much these young guys were going to put pressure on established internationals with 30-40 caps and you know these you know George Ford and Farrell they, they better be worried about you know some kid from Bath and it's the sort of stuff that you've heard over you know from the English for the last 20 or 30 years but he picked a 34 year old sub scrum half yeah like but Eddie he, Jones he hasn't, has he hasn't changed he hasn't changed Lancaster's team bar bringing Maro Otoji he it's has just that a form of uh, and there's also form in the English media of just believing whatever side that she feeds them because he had that incident where everyone decided after the Rugby World Cup that Chris Robshaw was the problem <laughs> it wasn't an open side so he moved Robshaw to blind side and started picking James Haskell at open side and nobody said hey, Haskell's a blind side now you're playing two blind sides not even a, a six and a six and a half you now know? he's not playing any blind sides you know so, so just, and nobody questioned that you know so Jones was it was it was so odd and the way that Jones is picking his, his back row is you know, really questionable in that. As as I said before, I'm a, actually a big Robshaw fan, but uh, the best number six in in English Premiership this season has been Don Armand from Exeter by by a, an absolute street. He's Super. been excellent. If I was picking the English team, he'd be in it just like that. Yeah, but I also think they miss the Archbishop of Banterbury. I I think they miss Haskell. Yeah. I think Haskell's a real destroyer. He's really awkward. He's so difficult to play against. Hands like shovels, but he's he's had a great throwback career. He's had a sort of like Peter Winterbottom used to be playing all over the place. Haskell's played in he's played in New Zealand. I think he played in Japan. He did. Yeah. yeah. He played. He's played in Rico France. Black Rams. Uh, he's played in France with Paris. Uh, Stade. Paris Saint Germain. Uh, Stade Francais. And he played for the Highlanders, I think. Down played for the Highlanders uh, down there, and he, and he got his game in all these places. Yeah. I mean, the Kiwis used to go, "Oh man, look at this ball!" I mean, the thing just bounces off him. But like they picked him, they didn't pick him for he's every some, single match. He's had some big games for England, and he's but he's he's a super flanker for the English because he just gives them that destroy. Courtney Laws, as good a rugby player as he is, he is not a number six, and England have nothing on the ground. So they they took on the Scots with Watson and Barkley playing on the on at with with no. Mr. Go and Mrs. Cranky. With no open side. Yeah. Uh, they should be playing, in my opinion anyway, they should be playing... Um, Armand. Armand and Kvesic, you know, who played together for Exeter. Kvesic, we saw Kvesic years ago playing for the English 20s. Uh, he's, a, he's a super player. Um, or or Armand and Robshaw, you know, who, who again, I think is a good player. Um, and I also think... I watched the game again after... Um, during the during the snow, and um, I was much more impressed with Nathan Hughes than I had been uh, at the match. I think you get when people are given out about somebody, you subconsciously take it on board. But watching it again, it's, you know Nathan Hughes didn't do too much wrong. He actually got quite a lot of front foot ball for them. And this is a guy who hadn't played an awful lot of rugby. Was coming in. He's their third choice eight at the moment. Um, so I think he did enough to retain his jersey. I don't think they have too many other options. At the moment, you know, Simmons is injured, Billy's injured. Uh, but it's going to be interesting what he does in the back row. And just, and just the, I suppose the questions that are about England, like they certainly... And, sorry, certain and also in the centre, what he does, whether he, if, he, if he decides to stick Farrell at 10 and go with uh, Theo and give him a really, you know, quite traditional boshing 12 and fleet-footed 13... 
Yeah, well, there's certainly more, there's England is certainly still very strong, but his 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 problem is that, and this has been the issue with the English. I think Farrell's a great player. I think Maro Atoje's a world. So Lancaster used the idea of a world class player being in the the top three in his position in the world. So I think Farrell is, I think Atoje is. I think the English have a lot of really good players without having a huge amount of of great players. Certainly not as good as they think they are. So mm-hmm. I think, for example, if, if you pick uh, Joseph in midfield, you're just not as strong defensively as if you pick Ben Teo in the midfield. But if you pick Ben Teo, then you're you're not as good as attacking because Teo can't pass and he's not as quick. He can offload really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think similarly, without Haskell, you know, if you pick Underhill in there, you, you, you have an open side, but... Uh, England really haven't gone for that sort of model enough. As we said, like they, they prefer picking huge teams and having someone like Haskell and Robshaw on the flanks, like having two six-and-a-halves to, to average it off. Um, they miss Billy Bunapolo, who I think is a top three in the world. Mm, um, definitely. And I think there's a big drop from Youngs to Kerr because Youngs is a lot more to his game than Kerr. Youngs is really... Like, he was playing for Leicester when he was 17-and-a-half, I think. And he's really... I remember the... The story was that he was drawn up the plays when Brian Smith was the coach in 2011. That Ben Youngs was more or less taking the uh, the backs and showing them this is what this is what we're going to do. And I think he's got great rugby intelligence. Whereas I think Danny Kerr is a very good athlete and, and quite a good footballer. And um, but you know, yeah, I think that that Youngs is is a really clever player. And Kerr isn't does not feel that. I think he's a really quick a- athletic player. And, uh, has a lot of spark personality wise and it's a great front runner but as you say I don't think he's a great chaser and I think that he was there are certain circumstances I think he was found wanting I think the Wigglesworth call is well Wigglesworth is a good clever player in his own right bringing in a 34 year old on the bench uh, you know a year and a half before World Cup it is about a year and a half now a year and nine months strange call it's really just because Jones trumpeted all these young guys so volubly uh, during the summertime that he's he sort of hung out to dry. Like Eddie Jones, Eddie Jones says these type of things uh, and almost bullies the media into believing him. And like Eddie, he's he's a weird guy because he's such a hard worker. Like the way he resurrected his career in Japan when it looked like he was finished after his Aussie experience. Like the Aussies couldn't wait to get rid of him. Um, Chelsea's like that with all their coaches, though. Yeah, but 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 he's 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 everyone's kind of easily coaches. He's sort of easily dislikable, Eddie Jones. So I don't know. He he just he's his chickens have come home to roost in this Six Nations. Um, but I I do think it, it's interesting with the balance. And I think all the things you talked about, Youngs, it goes back to that idea of like. Guys, in, I call it instinctive, but fellas who, who can make decisions as Paul, like to use Paulie's phrase, problem solvers. Mm-hmm. And again, Rory Best talked about it, I think it was post-2011 in the quarterfinal and just the way that we couldn't change our game from popping it out to Ferris and Shawnee and the Welsh chopping them down. Like we just couldn't play around it and, and Best referenced that inability to change course midstream. But there, there, was a, there was a lot in that game. That's a game which you, know, you could talk about for a long time because... Seven years later. Seven years later, it was number one. It was, it was very disappointing, but number two was a masterclass from the uh, from the Welsh, a masterclass from Gatland, especially. The Welsh attacked really cleverly when they when they did attack, uh, and they defended cleverly. But they also they set traps for Ronan O'Gara all the time, um, 
as, tem- as tempting as it is to talk about a game that was seven years ago, <laughs> how how have we not mentioned the Grand Slam yet? How <laughs> how do we steer away from that? Let's all just say, obviously, we're taking it one game at a time, and it's really important to look at Scotland. But Grand Slam, baby, Grand Slam is yeah. in the air. Well, it is, it is, and I think it's a reasonable thing. Uh, it's it's going too far out of your way not to mention it at this stage. When people talk about it, a potential Grand Slam before the uh, before the tournament's even kicked <laughs> off. I'm not exaggerating. People did it all the time. It's bizarre. Uh, but Scotland, uh, when you have two games to go uh, and you've won your first three games um, and your next game is is at home, you know, I think it's, it's unrealistic not to talk about a Grand Slam. I'm not at all... Uh, looking past Scotland and I think it's going to be a really good game actually um, but uh, I don't I don't seem to I don't obviously it'd be nice to win a Grand Slam I don't prize it as much as, as everyone else seems to do I don't think you compete for a Grand Slam you compete for a tournament and you, you compete to win a trophy I think if you win the Heineken Cup you win the Heineken Cup and it doesn't matter if you win seven games or if you win nine games it's nice to do it with nine games but the reason you're competing is to win it to win the tr- the tournament, I I, I certainly would be mightily satisfied if on Saturday night we'd won the t- we'd won the championship. It'd be amazing. I would like, love. I, it'd be, I would it'd love be to brilliant. win it with, if at all possible, if at all possible. I would. Prefer, <laughs> I'm not saying. Would I prefer? I prefer to win a Grand Slam now because it means we won all five games. But Jesus, I'd love to have won it with a match. You get five go. bonus points to win the Grand Slam, by the way, which I think is deadly. I I yeah I. <laughs> I have to disagree. Yeah, you just you need a little you need a massive bell at the top of the post and tweaking them. <laughs> to uh, I have to disagree with you completely. I think that a grand slam is certainly for Ireland is just magic. Like what happens for the other countries and you I struggled to which years did France win those grand slams in the nineties? I can't remember. There were so many of them. And there then, were loads. Like two thousand five and two thousand and two thousands. So and two thousand and ten. It kind of maybe it loses a bit of its luster, but for Ireland, it is still absolutely yeah. Well, magical. of course, it's like of course, win five is better than winning four. No, but it's like it's miles better. Uh, is it though? I mean, yeah. the 2009 is absolutely brilliant. That's because we hadn't done it, and uh, like that was only the second time ever. Yeah, and also because the country was on its fucking knees. But the know, six, nobody had any jobs. I won't say the Six Nations nobody has... Nobody had any bread. And you'll see Benny Ian <laughs> score that late winner against Fulham. We all thought Liverpool were going to win the league as well. <laughs> and I think... And like, also... Uh, but the six, the six Nations, it doesn't have the year to its own, but it has the weekend. So like at the end of... At the, at the middle of March, Cheltenham runs all the way through from Tuesday to Friday. Spring is, spring yeah, is in the air. Yeah, not fucking interested in Cheltenham. Cheltenham is huge. And people love it. And it's a massive jolly up in the middle. And like spring is in the air. So if, if you are heading into St. Patrick's weekend running for a Grand Slam, there are going to be people offering obscene amounts of money for tickets in Twickenham. There are going to be all sorts of stories about guys rowing over to London and sleeping in, in weird places. Like it, It's going to go nuts. Yeah, we have a shot at England to win the Grand Slam in Twic- in on Paddy's Day. Obviously, that's going to be like hilarious crack. But I I would see it as something of a step forward for this team to win uh, a Six Nations Championship with a week to spare and not like win it on points difference in the most outrageously heart wrenching last gasp scenario like we have done the yeah, two times. Yeah, also to so also that you know there's been. 
it's been a lot of turnover, a lot, a lot of injuries. Of, yeah, a lot of changes of personnel. Like the one thing about uh, the Grand Slam in 2009, number one, Draco won it practically on his own. Uh, and number they had two, no HIAs then, so they would have had to take him off every <laughs> game because he's so fucking concussed. <laughs> yeah. um, number two, we had the same team. Draco dropped that goal against England. That's yeah. fucking ridiculous. Yeah, we had the same team for every game, apart from the, the Scotland game where we decided to do our... Deck and Kitty decided to make some changes just to freshen them up. We made, I think, four changes, and that was Darcy in, Stringer in, Leamy in. Was there another one? Was it three changes? And Roy Beston. So it was four changes. But other than that, they went through the entire tournament without... Until until Ferris broke his thumb in, in the final game. Did no injuries. Like, Malo Kelly got dropped because he was late. That was, <laughs> that was one of the changes. Yeah, and it was it was golden generation, and it was astounding and da da da. But if if you whereas if you look at now, like Luke Fitz had to retire, um, Jared Payne is is gone, uh, Jamie Heaslip is gone, Sean O'Brien hasn't played, so there's there's four guys. They're all lines and guys who are pretty central to us uh, in in 2015 at the last World Cup, and I won't say they haven't been missed, but. I think, again, it's testament to just how good a job Schmidt has done with with this team that we can be that competitive. And I think it throws into light the sort of the claims that were made after that Grand Slam team started to fall apart, but we couldn't we couldn't bring ourselves to, to drop any of them. I say we, like kidney. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sort of the, the protestations that Ireland just didn't have X number of, of test class players. Because... What we were talking about earlier on, so Jared Payne is missing. Uh, Robbie Henshaw started at second centre. He went. He got injured. Obviously, Chris Farrell played man of the match. Got injured. So we're down to Gary Ringrose, who's going to be our fourth. Uh, sec. He's not going to be. Jared Payne hasn't played. But I mean, if, if Payne was if Payne was fit, he would be in contention for that. And we're still talking about a grand slam. That that's incredible. Mm, it's very. It is very impressive. It's extremely heartening. Also, though, like there's a lot of guys who have uh, under ten caps, and then, like you said, are a year and a half away from the World Cup. And you look at them getting to the World Cup with the right amount of caps to well, complement the really experienced players we have. Yeah, the other thing about the World Cup is uh, it's a tournament, and if you're playing well going into it, you're playing well going into it, and you you will most likely play well in it. And it's not like Milner Scudder went into it, I think, with something like four caps and and came out the other side as a World Cup winner. Israel Dag took over in the middle of the tournament for Mills Mullaina in, uh, in 2011. Um, and Mullaina looks set to be, he was a centurion, you know, he looks set to be very important for the All Blacks in that tournament. So if you're playing well, you can come in and, and you don't necessarily, not everyone has to have, you know, 30 cap minimum. Uh, you just have to be playing well. Mm. I disagree again. I think that New Zealand had Milner Scudder surrounded by a huge amount of experience, and it I didn't allows say them everyone had five caps. I said it if allows you're playing them, well, but you can't you can't have a lot of guys with five caps. You no. can't even you can't even hit them a kid. I just <laughs> I think that the I think over the next few months it'll be interesting to see who who Schmidt picks for all these matches down in Australia, uh, next year's Autumn Internationals, and the Six Nations because. The, the, the competition's been great and, and just how that fleshes out and the pressure that guys put on in each other and the permutations of being able to play in different ways depending on the personnel that you pick. So to go back to the sort of the idea of uh, 
previous World Cup winning teams, England could bring on Mike Catt against France in the semi-final in 2003 and completely change the game. Played brilliantly and then they dropped him. Um, sure, he didn't start so he couldn't drop him. But I mean, he... Uh, they didn't get hung up with the idea that because he'd played really well that uh, they were going to keep him on for the final. They, they just had that ability to change it mm-hmm. uh, because their squad was so deep. So... Not only Grand Slam, we're talking about. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, th- I think the point you were trying to make was that it, there, there could be a bolter basically come World Cup time. Not necessarily that people don't need to have twenty caps. It's just that. Oh, absolutely no. It's it's more about being informed. That you can't look at it. Uh, you can't think of it only as this is what we've been building for for four years. You also have to look as a rugby tournament. So if you have a guy who's in really good form, you pick him. He may not have, you know, 42 caps. He may have six. But you just pick the guy who's in better form. And you don't pick Brian Carney. Um, oh, poor Brian. So, speaking of uh, outside chances, is we I think we are going to come to our prediction hour. Oh, God. Um, where I'm going to make hay again. Um, but we... We, I think there was a couple of positions we didn't address in the Irish uh, uh, sauce bench, which I think are interesting. It would be like the 20 jersey and the 23 jersey. So Jack Conan was on the bench um, last time. Yes. Uh, I thought that was unusual because he's typically just number eight, although you could mm-hmm. sort of shoehorn him into into six. Um, given the injuries we have in back row, do you think he'll retain the 20 jersey or who, do you, who, who, who would be the viable option for you no I think he will retain it um, because uh, he can play six uh, it gives us a little bit of a different look um, but I think it's important like CJ Standard carries so much ball and takes on so he has such a central role in Ireland that I think it would make more sense if we subbed him uh, and got him off the pitch a little bit more often maybe a little bit earlier than we do and I think at the moment, with the amount of injuries we have, with uh, injuries to Ruddock, uh, Sean O'Brien, he's obviously now retired, unfortunately. And Vanderfleer, Vanderfleer. Um, don't think we actually have a huge amount of uh, a huge amount of options, uh, and I think that that I think that that ball carrying heft that Conan can bring, and also the cleverness, you know, and his good handling, his clever lines, uh, will be. I think he's almost assured of of getting that uh, number 20 jersey and 23 I, I'd have Jordy Murphy you'd have Jordy Murphy absolutely yeah Jordy does cover Jordy's 6, 7 and 8 Jordy's Joe likes him I'm just not a fan of Jack Cohn I'm not a big fan of Jack Cohn yeah. Jordy's a good call Jordy's playing well uh, he's playing really well actually um, so yeah that, that'd be a very legitimate or Jack O'Donoghue who gives you that variety across the background that he can play 7 and 8 but I think look realistically Jordy Murphy is the guy you're not going to sell us in this Jack O'Donoghue thing if you don't read Jack Conan uh, but nah Jordy will be my 20 Jack O'Donoghue is uh, <clears throat> I don't think he's done much to say he's better than Jack Conan Le- what about 23 Ferg uh, had it last time he didn't really cover himself in a lot of glory and I kind of feel like it could be Jordan Larmer who's back on the bench because I think that um, Andrew Conway is still yeah, getting Conway's over it. still out, yeah. yeah Conway's out. just and been didn't have a chance to play his game at the weekend to get over it. Maybe be by this by this knee injury. Um, 
And I think you could be right with with Larmer. Um, again, you know, I was thinking when when uh, when Chris Farrell after his man the match performance, I was thinking like twenty three is going to be Ringrose, and that gives us that gives us everything. You know, it gives us a guy who can completely change a game, a guy who can uh, who can actually kick goals brilliantly. If people saw him as a as a younger player, both for the, at schoolboy level and under twenties, and even on the tour of Japan. Um, and it goes really good for just a and just a, you know a guy you'd want to bring on, uh, but now I think it's 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 uh, I think it probably I think it could be Larmer. I think he'll go with Ferg. I think Larmer is probably not really got his feet underneath him because uh, it's been such a whirlwind rise, and I. I McFadden <laughs> Joe Schmidt loves yeah Fergus loads McFadden. of coaches love Ferg I love Ferg yeah. so um, I, I don't think he's covered himself in glory in any of his outings but I think he'd get picked in the 23 and I can understand why he would as well um, it's also difficult for the for the outside back cover to come on and like for all the talk that we talk about about impact subs like can you remember the last time an outside back sub came on in the Six Nations and and I had a blinder. Did something extremely exciting. Uh, or Craig Gilroy scored seven tries in Jesus seven minutes. Harry, <laughs> I thought Jack Noel played well when he came on for England against Scotland, but I don't think he had an absolute. He didn't turn the game for no. England. Yeah. he did well. Um, you're absolutely right. And but again, like Jack Noel's a line. Like, yeah, Jack Noel is absolutely quality. I think I'd again I'd pick him. Yeah, if I was picking the England team as quickly as I pick, uh, like I think that get those extra guys into your team, man. Like this yeah. best team in England, they win. They're the winningest team in England at, at the moment. Would uh, you pick Elliot Daly at fullback for England? Uh, that's a good question. I yeah, I think I would. I think I would, and I'm, I'm a big fan of Angry, but Angry's passing against uh, Scotland was appalling. Um, people, you know, he got man the match against Wales, and and Eddie Jones had a real cut off everyone, everyone for saying, "Oh, you said he's rubbish, not said he's great." Um, but I looked at him against Scotland, and he had three really, really bad passes, either too early or too high, or yeah, or straight out. Um, and again, like Johnny May is a brainless winger oh he's so quick and so brainless yeah he is an absolute finisher he is he is just not a guy with any degree of football um no i just but when you're on the front foot he's so fast he's absolutely electric yeah but i think that you know if you look at the english side um i i think there's still i don't think eddie jones has has hit on the right uh, mix in his in his team you know what I, no he of, hasn't that's that's sort of uh, outlandish to say when they've won 24 of 26 matches but I don't think I think he's he had the right mix though he had the right mix when he had more Lancaster's team he, yeah. hasn't really, he hasn't really put his fingerprints on this team he's just made Stuart Lancaster's team meaner and sorted out the midfield mm. that, that's that's the biggest thing but I think I think Lancaster's reputation certainly grows the more certainly in Ireland it does and I think I think who does who has done it well. I think Townsend's got a really good balance to his team with the the personnel involved. And I think like if you had Johnny Gray to play this weekend, you'd be more worried because Richie or Johnny, 
shit sorry Richie yeah Richie yeah I think he might be fit this weekend I don't think he's back is he uh, he called in um, Richie Gray Fraser Brown and Xander Ferguson into the squad of 40 Oh, from okay. injury so okay. I was a bit like yeah. I kind of feel like he might play Xander Ferguson uh, Fagerson Fagerson even um, it bubbled that one Xander Fagerson uh, <laughs> drop it in there um, just because they kind of have nothing to lose I mean he can uh, in a way that I, oh. uh, I don't think Joe would play a, play a player coming back from injury yeah. I think Ferguson or uh, Fagerson could be slotted in because like Scotland have already lost their match in this championship if they're going to win it they have to win their, they have to win out mm. so like they're kind of like that's why you think they'll be running the ball from their own 22 they have to win against Ireland well, scalping us I mean if he's got Richie Gray WP Nell Xander Fagerson to bring into his front five that's I think good I think Townsend will go for all of that yeah given that prediction time I'm going to make my usual uh tight call that it's going to be Ireland uh, 24 Scotland 20 I'm going 29-16 to Ireland oh I like that one hopefully it's (laughs) (laughs) 29-16 and I also think and I also think that um, the Le Crunch game is that what they call it? Le Crunch Le Crunch after that chocolate bar um I think I think England will easily deal with uh, France, who I still think are a bit of a rabble, and I think it'll be thirty-two nineteen to England in Paris. Bastero I, will probably do something good, but there's just just not enough of a team there. I think I think England will win as well. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I don't think they're they're going to roll over. I think the people are sort of are once they lost one it's like oh they could lose two because they're going to Paris I don't think they'll lose in Paris no I think they'll win 24-12 so do you think on Saturday night Ireland will be Six Nations champions yes no yes no no but I we'll, think no we'll be in a commanding position going into I think we'll need to deny England a winning bonus point and not get one or ourselves. get a low, losing bonus point we need to not lose 5 0 to England match points in the last day to win the championship. That's my prediction. Agree with that, yeah. So, champions on Saturday then. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and off to Cheltenham and then the Grand Slam. <laughs> in that block O'Connell the first receiver then O'Gara and then he slipped and he's 